I'm going to talk about one thing that is as controversial as politics, as religion. So I'm going to be my old self and try my best to totally destroy legalism, okay? I'm, and I only get a quick time to do it, but believe me, I got a whole lot more in me. So if you want to ambush me, make, make my day. I am eager and ready for you. This hurts more people than anything I can imagine. The fight for liberty. Liberty is worth fighting for. <clears throat> you know, it's the reason a young man will go to a battlefield and, if necessary, lay down his life for his country. Liberty is worth fighting for. In March 23, 1775, a young 39-year-old attorney addressed the Virginia Convention, and he said, and I quote, if we wish to be free, we must fight. I repeat, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that's left. It is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. The gentleman may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. Our brothers are already in the field, so why stand we here idle? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. We applaud the words of Patrick Henry to this day, but it wasn't but about 90 years later we were fighting one another in our history's worst bloodbath, the Civil War. And again, I remind you, it was for the cause of liberty. The African-American people of our nation at that time were not free. It was the consensus of our government they should be free, and if necessary, we would even fight one another for that freedom. Charles Sumner, on November 5th, 1864, gave a speech that summed up the issues of the Civil War, and I quote. He said, where slavery is, there liberty cannot be. And where liberty is, slavery cannot be. Now, I said all that to get to my point. I find it amazing that as a nation, we'll fight other nations for our national liberty and that we will actually fight one another for the freedom of those within our borders. But when it comes to Christianity and our Christian walk, we'll give up our liberty with no fight. Amazing. We'll go to war against any enemy that wants to take away our national freedom. But how seldom do you hear of a Christian fighting for his own liberty? Let enough legalists come on board, and we'll give them the ship without a fight. We'll wave the flag of surrender. We'll listen to their lists. And if necessary, for the sake of peace at any price, even though it's slavery and bondage, we'll agree with their list so they will think well of us. Dr. S. Lewis Johnson, back in 1963, wrote an article entitled, The Paralysis of Legalism. He said, and I quote, one of the most serious problems facing the Orthodox Christian Church today is the problem of legalism. He writes, legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer, and with the joy of the Lord goes his power for vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, odorless, colorless, tasteless profession. The truth is betrayed, and the glorious name of the Lord becomes a synonym for a gloomy killjoy. The Christian under law is a miserable parody of the real thing, unquote. 
If you want to find a group of somber, gloomy, cramped, odorless, dull individuals, just check in on a lot of churches. Oh, yeah. Just check on a few of them. If I had to name the number one enemy of the church, it'd be a couple. But the number one, without hesitation, I would say legalism first. It's a killer. It kills congregations when a pastor is a legalist. It kills pastors when a congregation is legalistic. And if you've never been under the thumb of legalism, you have no idea how blessed you have been. If you have been, then you ought to know today what it is to be free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, a book I recommend. Won't take you, you know, 15 minutes max to read through it. Here's what he writes in Galatians 5, verse 1. This is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's talking about the law of Moses. Nothing disturbs the legalist like the doctrine of grace, and nothing destroys the power of legalism like a firm conviction of the grace of God. And Paul is writing to Christians who knew better, but who had now fallen back under the spell of a group of legalists. Coming soon to a church near you. Yep. J.B. Phillips, in a paraphrase of Galatians 5, verse 1 that I just read. He says, do not lose your freedom by giving in to those who urge circumcision. Plant your feet firmly, therefore within the freedom that Christ has won for us, and do not let yourself be caught again in the shackles of slavery. Now, if Patrick Henry could say, give me liberty or give me death, the Christian ought to be able to say nearly the same thing. Give me liberty or I nullify the death of Christ which gives me liberty that he won at Calvary, or I remain a slave under the law of legalism. See, liberty is freedom from slavery or bondage. Liberty is freedom from sin's power and guilt, freedom from God's wrath, freedom from satanic authority, freedom also from the curse of the law, freedom from the tyranny of its demands to perform in order to please God. Freedom from the fear of condemnation from an accusing conscience. Freedom from the demands of other people. Freedom from slavery to human opinion. And it's a freedom motivated by love, not guilt. See, when the grace of Christ comes over you, you find you're no longer doing anything out of fear or out of guilt. You're doing it out of love. You don't do it to win approval. You do it because you've already been approved by Jesus Christ. It's a freedom to know him in an independent and personal way. God is not stamping out Christians around the world so that they all look alike, sound alike, dress alike, act alike with the same temperaments, the same vocabulary, the same look, the same sound. God is pleased with diversity and variety. That's why he made all the, not division, diversity. Everybody in the Bible was different. Old Peter would cut you lower than a whale's belly, and he walked with Jesus for three years, okay. Barnabas would love you. Ezra plucked out his own beard when the people were in idolatry. Old Nehemiah comes along, and he plucked out their beards. I'm with Nehemiah. I don't know where you are, all right? So it's freedom to make choices, to know God's will, freedom to obey his leading in my life, and once you've tasted it, you don't want to go back to anything else. But I say again, it is a liberty you have to fight for because there are people always who want to intimidate, manipulate, and dominate your life to make you as miserable as they are. Paul calls that witchcraft. 
Legalism is an attitude. It's a mentality. It's an obsessive conformity to some standard for the purpose of exalting myself. Look what I did. Look what I don't do. And what motivates the legalist is guilt and fear. You know, it leads to an emphasis of what should not be, what one should not do, instead of what I am to do, what I am to be. I want to be known for what I'm for. Christians evaluate churches many times by what they're against, not for what they're for. Eugene Peterson writes this, and I quote, the word Christian means different things to different people. To one, it means a stiff, uptight, inflexible way of life, colorless and unbending. To another, it means a risky, surprise-filled venture lived on the tiptoe at the edge of expectation. He goes on to say, either of these pictures can be supported with physical evidence. You know, he says, there are numerous illustrations for their positions in churches all over the world. But if we restrict ourselves strictly to biblical evidence, only the second image can be supported. Wow. The image of a person living zestfully, exploring every experience, pain and joy, fulfillment and frustration, as a human dimension of human freedom, searching through each for sense and grace. If we get our information strictly from biblical material, there is no doubt that the Christian life is a dancing, leaping, daring, roaring life. How many people you know like that? I didn't see anybody dancing in here, leaping. But that's exactly what you find in Scripture. See, how many churches or believers do you know like that, as opposed to hundreds of thousands who take their clues from legalists and live life accordingly? They're look-alike clones, and you can look at what verses they underline in their Bibles and tell what group they belong to. I don't know about today, but I can remember back in my day, you'd go to a restaurant and you could look at each table and tell what group they belonged to by how they were dressed. That's a, boy, it is a fact. It, it is a fact. I, I would like to give you details on that, but my wife, my wife would correct me and say, you shouldn't have been, gotten into that. Okay, I'll, if you ambush me, I'll tell you, all right? It was surprising to Paul that the Galatians would return to the bondage of the law after being set free by Jesus. Now, some of you are just as burdened because you were raised that way, but wrong. I know you're Bible-believing Christians. You just hadn't read the Bible, but I'm going to for you. Galatians 5, verse 7 from the message. You were running superbly, Galatians, who cut in on you, deflecting you from the true course of obedience. That detour doesn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. It didn't come from Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 1 in Galatians, Message Bible. You crazy Galatians. I love that. Did somebody put a hex on you? Who bewitched you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. It is obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your life. His sacrifice on the cross was clearly set before you clearly enough. Wow. Now, Paul reasons with the Galatians that he presented to them a Savior who paid the penalty for their sins and that the blood that came from his body on the cross and the resurrection of his body from the grave was God's final payment for all sin. That's why Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. In the Hebrew, tetelestate, paid in full. I don't owe a dime. Somebody paid for it. 
salvation, righteousness, justification. I didn't pay a penny for it. I didn't earn it. My wife would disqualify me in a second. I have a sports car a man bought me eight years ago. He paid the full price. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to buy it. You could say, well, you don't deserve that. I don't, but I'm going to drive it. It was a gift. I said, yes. That's what Jesus did. That's what drives a legalist up the tree because he wants to earn it. He wants to, well, God's so proud of me because of what I don't do. That's how I've achieved my right. No, God says your righteousness are as filthy rags to me. I'm glad you do something nice, but it doesn't make you righteous. It's what I did at the cross that makes you righteous. And that's what Satan wants to obscure. He wants to drag that law back in. See? So Paul goes on to ask, who bewitched you and blinded you to the work of the cross? I'm amazed, he says in verse 6. Legalism obscures the work of the cross. Let me pause and say this. Pretend this lectern is a cross. Satan doesn't hide the cross. You can have it 14 karat gold-plated and wear it. He, he doesn't block out the fact there's a cross. What he obscures is what happened at the cross. See, at the cross, Jesus administered to Satan a total, permanent, irreversible defeat. He can never change that. Satan's chief weapon against man is guilt, shame, and condemnation. But redemption gets us to the place of no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to those in Christ. Now, God may convict you, but he won't condemn you. You ought to behave that way. Well, that was wrong the way you spoke. That, that was greed. That was lust. That was, but it's conviction. It's not condemnation. The law always condemns. See, God doesn't condemn you. He's made you righteous. The gospel is to tell people how they can be made righteous, not to bring them under condemnation. You have to go to church for that. Come on, somebody with me? The law always, see, people people love to be in slavery. They love to be under legalism because it makes them feel like we deserve something. I'm entitled to God's favor because I don't and I won't and I haven't. And God says, you make me sick. You just nullified what I did at the cross. And at the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law, perfect sinless life. He fulfilled it, died for it, paid the debt of all sin of all human beings. And then Colossians 2 says, he took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross so that now I can come directly to God through Jesus Christ. I can't get there through the law. Israel never kept the law. 1,500 years. Paul says, if you keep one part of the law, you've got to keep it all. If you break one part, you've broken it all. There's not a legalist in any church or any pulpit that has kept the law. They've tried. They keep a select part, but they fail on the other part. I won't drink any wine, but I'll be a glutton. And if you're here and you're wearing cotton underwear and you've got polyester shirt or other outerwear, you've already broken the law. You could not mix fabric under the law. I'll drive you crazy with this over and over and over and distance you walk. And yet we still think what I do merits God's favor to me. Nonsense. Total nonsense. All your good works are as filthy rags to me, God says. Now, you, I, God loves it when you do something nice, but a pagan can do something nice. A pagan can treat his wife nice, can be faithful to her. A pagan can be generous. Hard to get a Christian, but a pagan can be generous. That's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing, but it won't make you righteous. What makes you righteous is faith in Jesus. See, the law always condemns, so Satan wants to obscure the work of the cross, the place of his defeat. Legalists always judge, compare, and condemn. That's the work of Satan himself, and every church you go to has got its own list. 
You could go to churches in the same denomination. They'll all be different. Different little rules, different little things they keep or don't do. Now, what's Paul fighting for? Liberty. He says, you were free. Now you're a slave again. What's wrong with you? So let's ask, how do legalists get in and why are they effective? I'm going to give you three reasons. I'll do them real quick first. In Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 10, I'll let you read it. Paul says there's a heresy loose in the church brought on by legalists who distort the true gospel. Heresy deals with doctrine. Legalism distorts the truth of the gospel. It's heresy because that's not what Jesus did. So it it brings in a bad doctrine. Second, Galatians 2, first six verses. Paul talks about harassment. Legalism needs the atmosphere of a school or a church or a denomination. It's harassment brought on by leadership. So heresy comes by wrong doctrine. Harassment comes by leaders. And then third, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, he reveals hypocrisy. When you adopt a legalistic lifestyle, you live in deceit and you fake it. You say one thing publicly, but you live another privately. If under the law, sin always has dominion over you, but Romans 6 verse 14 says you're not under the law, but you're under grace and sin shall not have dominion over you. doesn't mean I can't sin. It just means I can't be addicted to it. But if you read Romans, if you read Romans uh, uh, chapter 7, he says the law activates the power of sin. You can't even help it. And so God wants to take that out of the way. But legalists say, no, no, if we take it out of the way, people will just go wild. But the opposite is true. Not true at all. So if I put don't paint inside an elevator, wet paint, don't touch, I'll have 500 prints on it. If we just paint it and leave it alone, might get a couple. See, it's always don't, don't, don't. And then the allurement says, wonder why they don't want me to or what. It, 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 it does just what you don't want it to do. I met a guy who is part of a religion that won't drink ca- caffeine. No sodas, no coffee, no tea. God, what an awful life. But, they, but he drinks chocolate. Did you know chocolate has caffeine in it? He didn't know that. You wouldn't drink wine, but you'll drink 90-proof NyQuil. It's insane. Jesus is called a wine bibber. Why? Because he drank Welch's grape juice. Are you out of your mind? They have no refrigeration. They have a goat skin. And in a desert arid climate, that ferments in a few hours. Does anybody but me ever ask these questions? People ask me sometimes visiting, say, what's your policy on wine? I say, Ephesians 5, verse 13, don't get drunk. That's it. Is that really hard? Well, I think, well, that's a problem. You think instead of reading the Bible. Somebody told you a dirty lie. Okay. But also it talks about gluttony. And I know some preachers that weigh 350 pounds but wouldn't drink wine. Okay. You're a hypocrite. I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Now, let's take those three and take them apart real quick. First. Let's look at the doctrinal issue of legalism in Galatians 1, verse 6. Now, may I say again, Christ's death on the cross was sufficient payment for my sin. His blood was the final payment that freed all of us from slavery. His his resurrection was God's amen to Christ. It is finished, paid in full. The resurrection of Jesus was God's way of saying, your death, my son, is sufficient to satisfy my anger and wrath And from now on, all who come to you, Lord Jesus, have my blessing. 
I decree them to be righteous. It is a legal declaration. It is not earned. It is not merited. It is a gift. Does that make sense? You can't earn. I have been made righteous. Now, if I tried to say I have earned it, don't talk to Cindy. I haven't earned it at all, nor have you, see? And what is the requirement to obtain forgiveness and righteousness that brings eternal life? Faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. No works, no long list of I promise, no special attendance at church, no christening, no adding to, no giving up. It takes trusting Jesus Christ alone. Paul says in Galatians 1, 6, I'm so amazed you have deserted the message of grace for a different gospel. You've left the grace of Christ to embrace an opposite gospel, which is not at all like grace. He says there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And folks, every cult you can name is a, is a cult of works. Why? It appeals to my flesh. If I will just stand so long on a street corner, I, if I will visit so many hours, if I'll give out so much material, if I will give up so much of life, if I will not eat this, if I won't drink that, if I'll wear my dress to my toe or cover my head or put charcoal on my forehead, if I do that, God will smile upon me and God will weigh my good works against my bad works. Well, then what Jesus die for? You're going to add to what he did as though what he did wasn't enough? That's what you're doing. I'm not adding anything to it. Does it ever occur to you why the outcasts were drawn by the thousands to Jesus and they stay away by the thousands from the church? What was the good news? Well, it wasn't just Jesus saves. The whole message was Boys, you've lived under bondage and law, some 750 laws in addition to the Ten Commandments. You've been under all that bondage. I'm fixing to take that out of the way, not because there's anything wrong with it, but because you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you, and I'm going to decree you righteous. And they went, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. See? But the result of that is that legalism is man's glory, because you added to the work of the cross. You just obscured what Jesus did on the cross. Grace says you have nothing to give. God on his own reached down and said, you are mine by faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You ought to know it by heart. For by grace have you been saved through faith, faith in Jesus and his work at the cross. Not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody should brag. But the legalists will always say, well, I don't, and I never have, and I don't, and I won't. And that's what the Pharisees did. Lord, thank you. I've never been drunk. Thank you. I've never committed adultery. Thank you. Thank you. I've never, I've never, and I've not. And then poor old publican tax collector extortionist over here fell on his knees, beat his breast, and he said, Lord, have mercy to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that guy went home justified. <laughs> he didn't do a thing to earn that. I gave it to him as he acknowledged he couldn't make himself righteousness. And when people tell you, well, I don't, and I never have, and I won't, and I just don't. What is that? Boasting. Boasting. But the works doctrine goes on and on, and it always will, because of the pride of man. The pride of men and women is so strong. If I could just do something to get to heaven, then it would make sense. If I could just earn it, if God owes me. Because most of life is based on that premise. I work, I make money. I work hard, I make more money. I work two jobs, I make twice the money. So now I want eternal life. Well, it can't be a gift, Rick. I mean, there's no free lunch. 
But it isn't free, Sparky. Christ paid the payment. It cost him his life and his sinless blood. But to you and I, it's free. That car I was given didn't cost me a penny, but I drive the tires off of it. I didn't earn it. It was free. So if you see me in it, don't take a key and go down the side of it. Somebody paid it for me. I think that's good news. <laughs> that's what Jesus told those people. Got some good news for you, boys. I paid it all. Yeah, but always remember the cost was God's perfect son. Yeah, it's free to me, but it cost him his own son. So he could bestow grace on you and I. But along comes the legalist says, oh, no, no, no. We got to add to Christ's work at the cross. In Paul's day, they demanded circumcision. And you need to give up certain foods. You got to eat like we eat. And don't eat the pork. And don't have pork ribs today. And you've got to observe certain days or you can't be spiritual. But Paul calls it heresy. Now listen to this and get ticked off just right out of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First four verses. Now the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Well, what are the doctrine of demons? Well, let's take them. Forbidding to marry. That's called celibacy. Ever heard of that? Peter, if he's the first pope, he wasn't, but if, if my Catholic friends believe he was, he had a mother-in-law. That's kind of hard to have a mother-in-law if you hadn't been married. I don't know. I'm not real smart, but I can figure that out. <laughs> Celibacy is not a sin unless you preach that it's the way you achieve righteousness. If you don't want to get married, God bless you. People say marriage is like a city under attack. Those inside want to get out and those outside want to get in. I, I, take your pick. I am teasing a little bit, but I'm simply saying celibacy as a doctrine is a doctrine of demons. Now look at the next one, commanding you to abstain from foods which God created and to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. Pause the blessing. Now under, under the law, you couldn't eat pork shellfish, shrimp. Today, pork ribs. You couldn't have that, but under grace, you can eat all of it you want. Now, I need to say this. Eating a lot of pork and bacon, which I love, isn't healthy, but it doesn't make me unrighteous. He told me I can eat chocolate-covered roaches. I can eat anything I want, but I couldn't do that under the law, right? I want you to think. I'm agreeing with you. You're going to get clogged arteries. You're going, to get, you're going to get fat. And you may have heart issues. And you might even die prematurely. But you didn't die unrighteous. You died unhealthy. There's a difference, see? You can't be made righteous. Financial prosperity in the Bible won't get you into heaven. But it will get you out of indebtedness and poverty. Learning to be generous. Do you see the difference? Won't make me righteous. There are pagans that live better than most Christians because they understand generosity and sowing and reaping, and they live better. A pagan can treat his wife better than a Christian and have a good marriage, but that doesn't get him into heaven. That doesn't make him righteous. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Why didn't they teach this in seminary? Hey, this, the stuff that 
the stuff that makes you live life well, they don't even touch it, right? Who's the white horse of revelation? Who cares? <laughs> they ain't helping me. All right. This is not meant to be anything but fun, but one of our members was formerly a Seventh-day Adventist. And they have to meet on Saturday under the Sabbath, and there are certain foods they can't eat. And one of his friends, he, he was fully converted and realized that's nonsense and broke away with that. But he told me the story. He said he had a friend who was a stripper, but she wouldn't eat pork. <laughs> I, I, I just, I laugh myself today. See the hypocrisy? You can't, keep, you can't keep the law. That's nonsense. God did not do any of that. That's man doing that to achieve my own righteousness. So God will think well of me. No, no, no. No, no, no. He says you can eat anything you want. Watch Naked and Afraid on TV. Watch what they eat. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm just, are you thinking? All right. See, it's a pack of lies. And, and Paul stands against those who tell you to add to the work of Christ. And if you don't stand against them, they win. They just take over. You know, just as we learn that if we don't stand against the enemies of the liberty of our nation, they take over. So liberty is worth fighting for. In Galatians 1, verse 8 and 9, here's what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so we say again. If anybody preaches any other gospel, meaning I can earn my righteousness, I can earn God's favor by what I don't do or by what I do, he says, let him be accursed. So stop tolerating a gospel of works. It's legalism. And if I do something that's a principle in Scripture, it's because I want to, not I have to because of guilt or condemnation. Remember, conviction is not condemnation. Conviction says you spoke to your wife rudely, you need to call her and apologize. That's not condemnation. Condemnation is like that old song, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. I'm going to say it again. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. That's condemnation. Conviction says, here's what's wrong. Do this and fix it. That's, what God, that's how God deals with you. No condemnation ever. Condemnation comes from the enemy. See? So legalism will put you in bondage. It'll make you smug, proud, judgmental. And heaven won't have one citizen who's proud. God resists the proud. Grace removes all pride from me and gives God all the glory. That should be ever pastors, Magna Carta. Before Christ, Paul was a man pleaser. He was a legalist of the worst sort. But when he realized that Christ was real and his death actual and that it was a fulfilling payment for all sin, he was crushed to the bone when he realized the enormity of his guilt before God. He was stunned in meeting Christ personally on the road to Damascus, and he learned there was only one to fear on this earth, not man, just God. Now, the second group we talked about is in Galatians 2. And here's what it says, verse 3 verses. It says, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. And I went there because God realized to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure we were all on the same page in agreement for my, uh, for my fear that all my efforts had been wasted and that I'd be running the race for nothing. Well, they supported me and did not even demand that my companion, Titus, be circumcised, although he was a Gentile. Now, you think the legalists took that sitting down? Oh, no. Look at verse 4 and 5. This is the New Living Translation. 
Even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted us to be enslaved and to force upon us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Why? Because liberty was worth fighting for. Because the legalists are making their move, and you need to step on it and stop it before it moves into a church or a home because it will ruin you. I've watched legalists destroy people and churches over birth control, movies, music, musical instruments, coffee, wine, certain foods, pants on women, makeup, views on the end time, women cutting long hair, tattoos on the body piercing. Yeah, one lady said, I don't want my daughter to get any piercings, but she had $5,000 facelift. (laughs) That's pretty good piercing. Or a tummy took right? And I'm sure you got your own list. And you can do all of that and be mean as a snake. Would you please give up your list for everybody else? If you're going to keep it, keep it for yourself. But don't tell others they cannot. Now, there is wisdom in not doing certain things, okay? But it's not about being made righteous. I eat healthy. I exercise. I live weights. I did the best I can every single day, every, except Sunday, every day. It's a habit. I want to be healthy, but nothing that I don't eat or do has to make me righteous for God. I just want to live long and strong. That's all, right? And there are certain marriage things. They won't get you to heaven, but they'll get you out of divorce court. Financial prosperity, get you out of debt. Your choice, but it won't get you into heaven. See, has our faith been reduced to who does what when according to what I think they should do? Or is it a faith resting on the truth of Scripture? See, liberty is worth fighting for, and even those with long lists, rarely even live up to them. One of our friends, one of my best friends, in a mega church in America would never go to a movie. He thought it was sinful. But he rented every movie that came out. (laughs) And I took him to the IMAX downtown to see Sylvester Stallone in Cliffhanger, a real movie. And that that ended his not going to the movie. Some of you wouldn't drink wine, but you'll guzzle 90 proof NyQuil. Yeah, hypocrisy. Which brings us to the third point and last, Galatians 2, 11 through 16. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Certain men came from James from Jerusalem and he would eat with the Gentiles. But when these, the, the, these uh, Hebrew men came who, who were Jewish in observing the law, he withdrew from the Gentiles, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I rebuked Peter before them all. And I said, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by any work of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Listen, for by the works of the law shall no flesh ever be justified. One paraphrase by Ralph Kuyper, who's a theologian, he wrote this, Peter, I smell ham on your bread. You forgot your breath, mints. There was a time you wouldn't eat ham as part of your hope of salvation. And then after you trusted Christ, it didn't matter if you ate ham. But now when the no ham eaters have come from Jerusalem, 
you've gone back to your kosher ways. But the smell of ham still lingers on your breath, Pete. You are most inconsistent. You are compelling Gentile believers to observe Jewish law, which can never justify anyone. Peter, by returning to the law, you have undercut strength for godly living. You see it? Paul's rebuking the hypocrisy in Peter. The very idea you would fake it in front of Jews and Gentiles proves you're talking freedom, but you're living bondage. You're talking law, but you're not living it. Get off the fence, Peter. If you keep one part of the law, you got to keep all of it. If you break one part, you've broken it all. That's a, that's a shame. If, if you go back under the law, you come under the curse of the law. That sound good? Not to me. So how do we take a strong defense against legalism when we're done? Number one, keep standing firm in your freedom. I stand unshakable. You give me scripture, not your opinion, scripture. And by the way, when scripture is silent or unclear on any subject, and the Bible doesn't address every issue, how do I know what's right or wrong? Romans 14, your conscience. But then he adds this, but judge not your brother. Okay. So you say, well, well I, just, I, I don't know. There's no scripture, but I just feel bad about that. Okay. To you only, he says, it's sin. But judge not your brother. You can't put your conscience on me. I can't put mine on you. How clever God is, see? Number two, stop seeking the favor of everybody. If you're in a group where you have to do certain things that violate your conscience or truth, and they require things that are not your conviction, get out of the group. You're foolish to say where your conscience tells you it's not right. You're serving men, not God. You're motivated by fear and not faith. Number three, start refusing to submit to bondage. Call it what it is, slavery. Colossians 2, 16, let no man judge you in meats or in drinks or holy days or new moons or Sabbath days. They were only a shadow of things to come. How many groups do you know that observe Saturday as the Sabbath as though that's holy and abstain from certain meats? Are certain days they have to observe? I'm thinking, you've lost your mind. You just obscured what Jesus did for you at the cross. Fight for that liberty. And don't bother to remind me of how liberty needs to be restrained. I've got those rules down pat. Every time I speak on grace, I hear immediately from the legalists who want me to warn you about taking your liberty to an extreme. Well, I will, but that's not the problem for most believers. We're so good at clipping wings, we don't know how to fly. Some of you have never been free, never. So fly a little bit. Those people with scissors are gonna always be around to clip your wings. And last, number four, continue being straightforward about the truth. Live honestly, and when you blow it, say, I blew it. Even to your kids, just say, I'm sorry, I was a first-class hypocrite last week. It's embarrassing, but they'll love you forever, and they won't grow up damaged. Liberty has to be fought for, or you will lose it. The legalist won't go away. Satan can only control you by obscuring what Jesus did at the cross. And so he will manipulate, intimidate you to dominate you. Paul calls it witchcraft. Don't submit to it one moment. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.